0: Welcome to the Boiled Down Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live, and there's lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don... Hey, Don. Hey, y'all. I'm Sam. Sam. What's shaking with you? I'm agitated. Agitated? Yes. That's why you're shaking.
1: (laughs) No, that's the caffeine. Um, (laughs) No, I I, I I have found myself agitated once again, and it's one of those things that I recognized... That is very similar to uh, a couple years ago when I decided to go on a personal retreat. So I have a personal retreat coming up this uh, this next weekend. A personal retreat? Yeah. That means you're going to go by yourself? Exactly. Uh, so I've booked a, um, uh, a place in the mountains that is uh, known for it being quiet uh, and... During warm weather, they have these uh, open-air cottages and like even just like a canopy bed out in the middle of the woods. I mean, all kinds of weird lodging opportunities. I'm staying in the lodge because it's about to be really cold there. (laughs) I'm going to go, and as soon as I get there, I'm turning off my phone, and the computer is not going to be on or anything. And it's me, journal, books, nature,
0: and that's it. You're just cutting off from the world. Yeah. Very much that. <laughs> and, and I, ooh, what's,
1: what's going on
0: there, Don? I mean, I, I could enjoy that because I'm an artist and I'll be drawing and I could I do a little meditation. But frankly, I can't imagine you cutting off from, <laughs> to tell you the truth. What, <laughs> you think you know me or something? Uh, uh yeah. Actually, you are the tech wizard for the whole district of AA
1: <laughs> here. You're
0: like, and you're a IT consultant. You've helped me with, anytime I have a question, call Sam if I have a problem. Well, like I had just, just had a problem with the, the Apple's new operating system broke. Audacity. The audacity of them. Yes. <laughs> And it broke carbonite, broke a couple things I was talking to you about. You're the first person I turned to to talk about that stuff to try to figure it out. So imagining you all by yourself up in the mountains with no toys. (laughs) 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 Really, the toy part is the problem.
1: (laughs) I think I'll be all right. You're going to be all right. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I did it, like I said, it was like two years ago. How long are you going to be... This will be... Uh, let's see. I'm going up on a Friday, and then uh, Saturday, Sunday, check out of there like 1 o'clock Monday afternoon. So this is the North Carolina mountains I'll be in near Asheville, and mm-hmm. then I'm driving to Charlotte on the way back home to pick up a voiceover class. Yeah. Aww. You know, I've had folks talk about how... Do you do like voice work and stuff for years, and uh, and this has been on my to-do list, and so you've been I, doing voiceover boiled down for a while. Now. Well, yeah, I have. You make me sound so good. Um, make that sound
0: really good. I will. I'll work uh, and, on it. And
1: um, and so uh, a friend in Charlotte, he lined up a a session for the two of us to explore voiceover with a voiceover professional there. that's cool. And uh, so I'm going to do that, and then head on home.
0: Well, now wait a minute. When you're doing this uh, personal retreat, is there any kind of structure to it, like? is is there a classes or anything Are no, you just going by It's yourself? just
1: me there will probably I mean the people who own the place will be there but uh there, I'm sure there will be some other guests yeah. I may have I may have to interact with some people damn it
0: Well that's um, well, but, that's good you know I saw a friend of mine and his wife at Starbucks last Friday they were in the car getting ready to go and I said well where are you going and he said I'm, we're going up in the mountains we're going to, now they go hiking on the Appalachian Trail with backpacks and tents and that kind of thing. And I was yeah, going to I said, so you're going, you're that's are excessive. you going to the top of some mountain to the top of nowhere and spend the weekend? And he said, No, I'm going to the top of everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like that's, that's good. great.
1: That's great. Oh, well, guess what? What? We have a guest.
0: No kidding!
1: Yeah. All the way in from Durham, the dirty derm, whatever. That's, a,
0: that's about an hour away. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. An hey hour everybody. How are you? What's your name? Who are
2: you? you? So my name is Scott. I, I'm an alcoholic, yeah. It's yes, true. you are. Among, all right, among other things. So, yeah,
1: <laughs> thank you for jump for for coming. We're really happy. Yeah, to
2: I'm so I'm really excited to be here. I you know I don't mind surrounding myself with people who are smarter than I am as long as I get all the attention. So this is just a, this is <laughs> well, just a, this is just another way to you know feed my self centeredness in a healthy well, way. I mean I can't go wrong here. <laughs> no, no, you can't. A, cause,
0: well, let me ask you a few questions about yourself. Please, <laughs> please, Don. Please. Do you open a banana? <laughs> we are not doing the banana again. <laughs> at the still, How do you open a banana? Or at the. At the far end or at the stem? Uh, so stem at the top of the yeah bottom. stem. And
2: I'm so impatient, I won't let them fully ripen, so I have to kind of cut it first in order to
0: open it at the stem without it like. Mushing no, I don't want to go into a long. I don't want to go yeah. into a long thing about this because we just going to be it a less? standard thing now. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> going to be the first question from now on. But you really ought to try open it from the other end. Really, <laughs> it opens right up. Really,
2: okay. Yeah, all right. I'm gonna changed it. my life. Yeah, I am not afraid of change. <laughs> I am not. Yeah, that's good when
0: did you make the big change to get sober Uh, my sobriety
2: date is two to three days up uh, before april 1st 1987 Uh, i went into treatment it's unclear it was and and about a week or two later when they were explaining to me that i needed to have a sobriety date i knew that something like you know march 27 march 28 i was never going to remember that i said how about we just round up to april fool's day because i will remember that one so they said (laughs) that's fine so that's
0: well. What it really break. is. It really doesn't make any difference what the day is. Or what, oh, it
1: uh, truly does when you're like counting days. Yeah, I was Ed. 24 <laughs> years old and I was quite full of myself,
2: notwithstanding <laughs> the fact that I was a complete dumpster fire. But uh, <laughs> so I cared a lot. I cared
0: a lot about everything. That's when you got sober. That's when I got sober. Yeah. So what? So how how many years? What?
2: So that's 32 years. Uh, 33. Wow. Uh, this this coming in April, and I turned 57 yesterday. Wow. So, yeah.
0: Fantastic. I know. Yeah. How did you surrender and to come to AA at such an early age? A cocaine addiction
2: helped. It uh, certainly escalated my uh, my addiction and alcoholism. Uh, I'm one of those that sort of approach those two things as sort of part of one biological disease mechanism. And uh, so it's all the same thing that was kicking my ass. And the Amphetamine-oriented drugs just do it a lot faster and bring about greater consequences. Um, I remember at some point in my recovery, I started like looking back and thinking, "Why? How is it that I got sober? Why did I get sober? Why did I like?" And I'm one of those people that that stopped relapsing before I got to the rooms. Uh, All of us relapsed. I like the way you say that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I used to think I was really special because that was like my only white chip. That's just because I. Uh, did all
0: my relapsing before I got there? Yeah, um, when I realized that, uh, that's what happened to me. I realized I yeah. did lots of relapsing. Yeah, but it was. Yeah. It was just because I I spent two years trying my best to drink. That's right. Once oh, on Friday night. That's right. You know, or yeah. Something like that, and <laughs> that didn't work.
2: And you know, like when when I, when I look back, like the people that were that were helping me in treatment and the meetings that I started going to right away, like. They told me I was go- I had something that was going to kill me if I didn't stop, and I had just enough experience and consequence in in my life to realize that they weren't lying, and I did not want to die. I was mm-hmm. I was very clear about that. I might sort of dramatically act otherwise from time to time when I needed a particularly <laughs> delicious way to draw attention to myself, but but the truth is, I, I I really enjoyed life and I wanted as much of it as I could get, and I was afraid that this disease was going to kill me. So I was willing I was willing to. To, I was willing to try it. Yeah. So, and and I, I feel very lucky because I took to 12 step recovery really well. I mean, I just, I, I, I really did feel like I met my tribe. And um, you I, identified right I did. Off. I identified. And also, I think, you know, the systems of 12 step recovery in AA are, you know, I think some people, You know, sort of it clicks with them really quick, and it's for some people it doesn't. Now, I think for everyone equally, if we follow them, they work. So, Mm -hmm. this isn't a question of whether it can work or not. You know, our different personalities just present different challenges and opportunities for how we approach the system, but the system works, but the system is not. Always easy
0: for everyone that comes in and I think it right. was
2: it was easy for me. And I think I was very fortunate in that regard. So
0: if you got the right personality, certain certain aspects of it really work. I latched on to it, but you know what happened to me is I'm as obsessive as can be. And yeah. I still am. Yeah. And I just You're became an enthusiast. I'm an enthusiast as as Bill says, we are enthusiasts, mm-hmm. which I always Feel like it's putting a really good spin on being obsessive. It is,
2: yeah. I, I think it was maybe about three years in before uh, they actually decided it was okay to tell me that I couldn't actually become president of AA because they, <laughs> they, they knew that my ambition was actually might save my life. So they were like, just don't tell him that it doesn't work that way. Just let him, <laughs> just let him like dominate the business meetings and let him volunteer for everything. He really thinks he's going to get that gold star. So just like let. Let's let, you know, and and so much of my recovery is how to take the things that, like today, like drive all my friends crazy, you know, my inherent character defects and traits, you know, and how to sort of just put those and direct them towards the forces of good good instead of the forces of evil. (laughs) Yeah. Let go, let Scott. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that was a coined term by more than one of my sponsees, so (laughs) just stop fighting and say yes. So, Yeah.
0: Well, it is. I really like my obsessiveness and my high energy and my desire. So it's channeling it into good things. I mean, it's great to have that. That's what I like. Alcoholics. I like all alcoholics. Their energy. I like all the people in A because the energy is so intense with everybody. Yeah, that's one of the parts of alcoholism. It seems to be a character trait that alcoholics have. I just don't like them when they're drinking. Oh man. But but when alcoholics get sober, the energy is fantastic.
2: Yeah. You know, like I remember in my first year of recovery, I went to some seminar or something about this. It wasn't a meeting, but it was presented at the University of Houston where I got sober in Houston, Texas. And and I remember this guy explaining, he drew this sort of curve, you know, with the line kind of, you know, sloping upward to the right, and he's and uh he says, so here's the curve of the sort of typical non-alcoholic human being, you know, so there's that curve of satisfaction with life, you know, the sort of fulfillment and, and sense of accomplishment and purpose, it kind of ramps up and then somewhere about your 40s, it kind of levels off because you sort of have answered all the big questions by then and from 40 on you're kind of just settling into whatever it is you've discovered works for you and doesn't work for you hopefully and then it kind of levels out you know and there's not really any big dramatic changes until you know you're done that's normal that's normal and he said the curve of someone who with this disease uh, who stays in recovery that curve continues to slope upward for the rest of their lives and and there's that part of the book that says you know we we are i mean we are people who I really feel this and I see this in the rooms where people who who demand a lot more out of life than we are actually entitled to. (laughs) And that dynamic when you're drinking (laughs) causes a lot of problems in the world. That dynamic when we're not drinking can be inspirational. It can be very powerful and can lift families instead of bringing them down.
0: And I love that. Sam's going to go this weekend and ponder the immensities. Oh, for yes. Weekend. Wait till wait till I come back. Oh, I can't wait. You will... Maybe you'll achieve gaseous form. <laughs> I will never be a spiritual gas giant like you, Don.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I got I to share this with folks because... Um, we're, we're going to hear, and I've already heard one thing to, to, today out of Scott, we're, we're probably going to hear some things that I have said on, on previous episodes come out of Scott's mouth. Because Scott's the source of some of this stuff that I said. <laughs> now, awesome. that doesn't mean he's the original source of it. Because in mm-hmm. AA, if you like, say it three times, you can claim it as your own. Yeah. You used um, to live in Durham, right? I, went to re- I did recovery in Durham. So when I started over in 2012, I ran away to Durham and hung out with Scott and the crowd there. Yeah. And they're the ones who caught me and, and helped me come back uh-huh. and, and get my feet back under me and, and grow even more. We miss Sam.
0: Uh, I'll bet. Still to I'll this yeah.
1: and, uh But I learned an awful lot uh, in my conversations with Scott and with David. That's a good. lot of things that I have brought yeah. to the show have come from Scott, and uh-huh. uh, I, I appreciate it. Thank that. you. You Thank make you. me sound good. <laughs> awesome. Well, you know, good artists create, great artists steal. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> yeah. Tell me about, you went to a treatment center. Yep. You couldn't control it anymore. You were scared you were going to die.
2: Yeah, so I was in I was in my last year of college. Um, I was in uh, architecture school in Houston, Texas. I had gone four years and then did a year of internship um, in New York City, where my disease really settled into a, a nice, steady, medium-high burn, mm-hmm. and came back to finish my last year of college that I needed to earn my professional degree and. Uh, got through the first semester managing to keep it together with all the normal tools and tricks that I had developed. Uh, For example? Well, just just the the ways that we prop up the outside of our life in order to tell the world that we're okay, even when it's sort of collapsing on the inside. Uh, so, you know, I had nothing less than a B on my transcript that first uh, fall semester of that last year. But by March, you know, a couple months into the last semester, I had dropped out of every course but one I uh, was failing that, uh, which was painting, and you know it's pretty hard to fail painting. So um, the reason I was willing to go into treatment, I I, I did reach out to a mental health professional that uh, a former partner of mine had recommended, and they were suggesting I'm going to treatment, and I thought that was a very rash idea. Seems like <laughs> you know I was pretty sure at the time that uh, the reason I drank so much was because uh, of all the stress in school, and of course I understand now. Today that it's the classic, it's the opposite. You know that paradigm is a classic way we get trapped in our, in our alcoholism and.
0: Yeah, I, I thought I was drinking at something and that if I could fix, find out what that something was, yeah. then I wouldn't have this obsession to drink out of control all the time. Yeah, and in fact, what that something was was alcoholism. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. Well, it, no, that's. It,
0: it was, you know, even though, you know, I, I got into therapy for a couple of years thinking, okay, this was going to fix me if I can understand what's going on. Because I could feel like there was some anxiety inside of me that oh, I was yeah. drinking at. Yeah. And, you know, because I was, I, I was aware I didn't have this language. But I was aware that I was drinking to get out of my feelings, to get out of out of myself. Yeah. So I got into therapy. and was like, going, but it didn't touch the alcoholism. Yeah. I couldn't not drink. I had to drink all yeah. the time. Yeah. So
2: I mean, I you know providentially, I was I was willing to go to a mental health professional and sort of ask for help, um, and they were suggesting I'm going to treatment. And what did it for me is that I realized I could. Withdraw from school for medical reasons. About two days before the the drop dead deadline on all my courses, um, I get a note from the doctor. They promised me that they would make it easy for me to get out of school and have a chance to go back and kind of.
0: So you wouldn't um, lose.
2: So I wouldn't lose my status as someone who had done relatively well in school. Yeah, yeah. And and so again, it, my they motivation forgive the
0: bad semester.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's a withdrawal for medical reasons. So uh-huh. it's just, they don't need to know why, they just know that a doctor said he had to go. Yeah. <laughs> like he had, he yeah, he, he, yeah, he, he got to go. And uh, so again, it was, it was for all the wrong reasons. It was to just sort of protect that outer shell of what I was presenting to the world and what I thought I needed to do in order to be a good boy and succeed. Uh, and I was willing to protect that. I had to almost crashed the plane twice. Um, uh, when when did the before. switch
0: flip? From I can take care of this. I'm going to be able to manage this myself. To I need help, and it looks like AA so, is the answer.
2: So there's a couple of questions there. I would say that I got I got introduced to AA about the same time I was w- started to go into treatment. This all happened like the crash kind of happened all within like a two to three week period of time. You know, in March of uh, 1987. Long before that, I had tried and failed at at managing my my drinking. And what I remember about that period of time was just I always I remember many times swearing that I was going to stop and I do not remember once the process that inevitably would happen about two days later where I just picked it up again not without any awareness of the consequence of it like, and to have that, that that part of the book where it talks about, you know, that we're unable to bring forth in our mind, you know, sufficiently the memory of the last debacle, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that this pattern of, like, it's so bad and I'm swearing off of it and I'm announcing to the entire world and anyone who will listen that I'll never do this again. And then in two days I pick it back up as if it was like I just decided I wanted a cookie that afternoon, you know. Right. Like
0: in, yeah, It changed my mind.
2: Yeah. And so so for I got... I. I went to one or two meetings, I would say, in the week leading up to my being willing to actually be admitted to treatment, but my real introduction to AA happened once I was behind the locked doors of a mental institution. Um, I I'm come from a, lo- a lot of privilege, and my mom had you know, really good insurance. She was a professional uh, executive, and, and so... You know, it was the 80s. Insurance was really good back then. (laughs) I was able to go to treatment for two months and get a lot of help. I don't know whether that's what I needed in order to get sober or not, but I'm glad that what was offered to me is something that worked. Um, Uh So it obviously saved my life. I came close to death twice. And the second time, I think, was when I knew that I was over my head. And that's when I was willing to reach out to this psychiatrist that a friend had recommended and they quickly realized that i had an alcohol and drug addiction problem and was this
0: was this like an overdose or a-
2: it was a close overdose uh-huh. i was at home alone living with my parents you know while i was in college and realizing laying on the floor of my bedroom with my heart getting ready to explode out of my chest and i realized like i feel like i'm kind of on the edge of consciousness here and having this fear that my parents were going to come home and find me dead in my room.
0: Maybe and then it happened to me myself. twice. Wow. Yeah. Yes. So, uh huh. Yeah. It's just bizarre. That's just bizarre. Yeah. I, one time I took, I was in a bar and this attractive girl offered me this brown powder on a knife. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it was cinnamon, wasn't it? It no, wasn't cinnamon. She was pretty. <laughs>
0: <That's>, and, uh,
2: <laughs> I got in a lot of trouble, like with similar God, situations.
0: What, what the fuck? I just went. Oh yeah, this is a great idea. And I, I went blind. I, could, I could not see to get out of there. Yeah, stuff was so strong. Yeah, overwhelmed. And, your, your and someone helped me. And I didn't know if I was if it was going to stop. Or if it was going to continue, and I would die, because if it were to continue more, I could feel it swelling inside of me. You know, that it would kill me. And it's like, what? Just because someone offers you something on a knife, it's like, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, Yeah.
1: totally. Yeah, totally. (sighs)
0: Yeah. Some some bad decisions there.
1: You've uh, you you've. Undoubtedly had a lot of mess in your life that kind of got you here and and doing all that, but you've also got just just this afternoon. I mean, you know, oh wait, you're talking (laughs) about that? Yeah, no, that's all right. But no, no, but so I mean, but you've also got thirty some years of recovery now, and. When when Don was talking about he went blind and 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 what you were about you were saying it overwhelmed you, and I went like it like yeah totally overwhelmed his nervous system and it totally took me to a memory of you uh, <laughs> that I've only heard about but how uh, you went to a, a a recovery conference a roundup yeah and your nervous system shut down oh yeah yeah so I think the story <laughs> you're telling about is uh
2: is my first uh, trip to hot and dry which is a Gay Men's Recovery Weekend in Palm Springs, and it's sort of one-third recovery conference, one-third circuit party, and one-third Disney theme park attraction. And, And the purpose of this thing is to really challenge you to see how much fun you can have being stone cold sober. And it's 900 gay men, uh, and we take over a hotel, and there's swimming pools, movie stars, and you know, all kinds of entertainment. And, <laughs> and <laughs> how long had you been sober? Oh, I would when say when that time? I would say the first time I went there was maybe 10 years ago.
0: Okay, so it wasn't new, and no, new, no, one brand no, new. I was already. But he short circuited. I was well into
2: my my second decade and of, of recovery, or towards my third decade. And and everyone who goes to this thing has a similar similar reaction, like your first 12 to 36 hours are just being all of your insecurities and all the ways that we think of ourselves as not being a part of and not belonging are just sort of slammed right in front of our face. And we either shut down or we just let go and we just accept the pure joy and fun of the weekend and... It's a very sort of Southern California kind of thing where it's like, you know, we're all okay and we're all having a good time and we're all sober and we don't want to put any limits on how joyous our recovery can be. And so let's celebrate our culture and our, what is fun to us and, and let's explore all the things that we like to do and see how much better we can do them sober, you know? And there was this moment on the swimming pool when I finally just let go of all the obsessive thoughts about myself and I just said what if I just really allowed myself to let go and have fun and just be in this moment and and I started kind of dancing like on the side of the pool you know with everyone else that was dancing and it was just this really fun moment and David looked over at me he said he says I don't think I've ever seen you overstimulated (laughs) (laughs) because I'm usually the most stimulated person in the room I'm usually the one who's like 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 50 like 50 percent more energetic than everybody else you know and usually people are having to kind of look for the volume control you know and so (laughs) in order to save their own sanity you know and so here my sanity started getting threatened by you know the the short circuiting of the situation and it was a great moment I love thinking about that because it's a it was all about it was all about just sort of setting aside what I was thinking about myself you know in that moment and all the ways that we we hold ourselves back you know and yes. out of fear and and you know i tell my sponsees and my friends over and over again any thought that comes into my mind that remotely sounds like i don't belong here that is my alcoholism it's always my alcoholism that uses that that phrase and that voice i've come to kind of recognize that and which is great news because like so when i'm feeling like i'm not a part of or don't belong I now have a chance and I've got a lot of experience doing this now of actually looking for like what what, what is the step or what is the, the sort of basic system of recovery that I can go apply to the situation and feel better instead of thinking that there's some giant thing that's wrong with me that... Is going to penalize me the rest of my life because I don't
0: belong. It's it's mm. like it's a personal decision. It's a it's a personal decision to be apart from. Yeah. You know, I've I, well, I've talked about it before on the podcast, but there was a meeting I was going to for a year on Thursday. I, I started going to because my sponsee went to it, and I said oh, I'll check that meeting out. And I was always going, oh, it's his meeting. I'm going to his meeting, and I was like driving over there. And I'm going to, to his meeting. And I was going. Wait a minute. I've been going there a year why don't I let it be my meeting Yeah. instead of like, because I was like going there and kind of judging people (laughs) and like going, "Ah, the way they do this and the way they do that. And I I just said, it's my meeting. I'm going to go in and I'm going to greet people as if it's my meeting. That's right. And I did. And it became my meeting. Yeah, absolutely. That's unbelievable. It's a personal decision. Yeah. I think I would, I would, I would temper what you
2: just said. Like, I I don't feel like it's always I don't feel like it's ever a personal decision for me to feel like I don't belong. I think that is my that is my alcoholism manifesting itself because I still am an alcoholic and I mm-hmm. still have this disease. It's always a personal decision for me to apply the solution, which is to go anyway, to be around people and anyway, okay, okay, to raise I gotcha my now. hand yeah. and to say like and that that is definitely a personal decision. I will never choose to to be in pain or sadness. Right. You know, it might but, be a habit, and I might fall into that habit out of habit. You know, mm-hmm. but I don't like pain and sadness. I don't
0: like feeling apart from. And when my disease takes me there, it's not fun. It's not fun at all. Yeah, yeah. I was doing a meditation in the morning, and I run down my character defects, and the first one is fear. I ask God to remove my fear, and I. Immediately realized I was sitting in. I was anxious, and there was a knot of anxiety in my stomach. And I went, "Well, what's going on? Yeah. Nothing. Nothing was going on." Yeah. And it just so happens in my life right now, there is nothing bad going on. Yeah. There, and there's nothing impending going on that's some big thing. Yeah. So that doesn't always happen, but it was true at the, at that time, which means this is going on I don't need that stuff to feel anxious and afraid oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I want to say that I am the reason that I feel the way I do is because of this thing that's gonna happen oh, or, yeah. or what this person did to me and I've got to respond to it and it's difficult and that's the way I feel it doesn't make any difference no no like the call comes
2: from inside the house yeah the call always comes <laughs> from inside the house you know the disease doesn't live out in the world. You know, it's in my brain. It's in my it's in my spirit. The spiritual part of of the disease is in my spirit, and like I I manufacture restless, irritable, and discontent just by breathing every day because this disease is hardwired into my soul and my brain. Built. That's right. It's the way I'm built. So that I I don't. What are you going to do about it? That's right. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna go to a meeting, and I'm going to call my sponsor, and I'm going to go work the twelve steps. I mean, the solution is it's really basic. You know, it's get around my tribe, get around other people that are fighting the same thing that I am and, and let the ones that are feeling good today and encouraging and compassionate reach out and reassure me that, you know, it's going to get better and that I'm in the right place. And, um, you know, just let it suck for a couple of days. It's not going to kill
1: you. Sometimes you, know, you got to move drink. through the suck.
2: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So and then I, I get that a lot these days. Like I'm, in my meditation practice, which I've been really intensely doing for like the last year, it's really about allowing the the emotional storm to rage, just to let it be its own little weather system in my heart and to not fight it, just to let let all the things that come up in my emotional system come up and and not fight them and not act like there are these things I have to work to sort of solve. And then it's like I get to the other side and it's like, oh my God, it's kind of peaceful over here. It's like, <laughs> there's really nothing wrong. Okay, let's
0: get get practical. Let's All get right. down to brass tacks. What is your meditation practice?
2: So about a year ago, I, w- I had a little a little meltdown, a little, you know, I've, I've experienced this a few times in my recovery where I have, I, I would look back on it now and say it's sort of a spiritual crisis where... I, I couldn't put a finger on one thing, but there was just something going on. And the amount of blessings were coming at me so fast that they were manifesting themselves as stress. And my trying to micromanage and control everything around me was getting uh, very acute. And I just I knew I was approaching a, a surrender moment. That was, something was going to have to change dramatically for me to continue like on my path. And something this dramatic has happened maybe four or five times in my recovery. And fortunately, I was at a conference in Houston that I was asked to speak at. It's actually a conference put on by the group that I that I got sober at, uh, Lambda Center in Houston, Texas. And I went to speak at their Roundup. And, uh, and I just went to this very nondescript meditation meeting there, meeting workshop. And one thing led to another. And I downloaded this app on my phone called Insight Timer, which is this free app that accesses like thousands and tens of thousands of free meditations. And I just started doing it. Now, I'd had sponsors telling me I should have a meditation practice for over a decade. So yeah. and I don't know why and that they moment. always
0: start talking about that at the very beginning.
2: Yeah, they do. Yeah. And 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 it was really funny because it was, it was only a few weeks ago at a meeting when I was sharing about this that I realized this is an 11 step practice. I thought it was like this other meditation thing that I kind of found and brought into my recovery. It's like, dude, like oh, there's God. a step for this. Like this, you haven't reinvented anything. Like you just finally worked an 11th step that was actually changing your life. Yeah, but funny. so my practice is I, I wake up every morning and I, I have a reading practice that I start with. Which is just try to read ten or fifteen pages of of a set of books that I select to kind of just improve my knowledge and my understanding of myself and the world. Usually nonfiction, so I spend about an hour doing that, and then I meditate for ten to twenty minutes. And I sometimes I'm following a course on this phone app, you know, where it's like a ten day or thirty day deep dive into a particular topic. But I try to be really loose and not too structured about it, in the sense of just be curious and explore. Uh, different things and so what's happened in a year now so uh, you know when we're recording this it's been about a year since i started that is um i am experiencing now what it's like to detach from myself and my ego just slightly enough you know where i'm not being delusional and needing you know yeah. hospitalization yeah <laughs> you, <laughs> but, can, uh, you can't go too far yeah it's not an <laughs> out-of-body experience you know it's all it's all good but it's just like where i i'm able to I can have awareness and consciousness that is just slightly independent of my thoughts and my emotions, and I'm able to sort of witness what's happening in my body without reacting to it. And just to, yeah. and it's like the feeling I hear a metaphor of people who I do meditation. I am not my thoughts. I am, I not, am not my, my feelings. Thoughts. That's yeah. right. That's right. But they are a part of me, and they are important. And I need to give them their space and let them rage. You know, like the metaphor of standing behind a waterfall between the waterfall and the cliff, like, like the torrent is still there. The noise and the energy is still very much around me and, and deafening, but I'm not getting wet. Like I'm not in the middle of, I'm not drowning. Mm-hmm. And that metaphor really rings true for me. So yeah, that's, that's my practice. And so it's, I, I think mindfulness meditation is what it's called. Like I, and I don't really have a particular kind of label for it, but as I as I get drawn to different types of medications that are randomly presented to me to try and and experiment with, mindfulness is what it is. It's it's just meditations,
0: being... not medications.
2: That's right. You said medications. <laughs> did I? <laughs> you <Yes>. did. Wow. <laughs> uh, let me have another uh, a coffee here. Yeah. I was like, oh, hmm. go mindfulness medication. There's another. <laughs> yeah.
0: There's another aspect. <laughs> yeah. Of yeah. this.
2: mindfulness medication. Th- those were a big part of my story too. <laughs> Yes, it's true.
1: It's really true. Yes, I had a lot of substances other than alcohol <laughs> in my story. So, uh. <laughs> yeah, Scott, one of the things that I absolutely a story I love hearing about you is that when David came to that meeting the first time that he met you at, uh-huh. and then you were talking with him after the meeting, and he thought you were a newcomer because you were so passionate. Ah. Uh-huh. I know that you, I mean, your passion, you're Julie, the cruise director. We know that. Um, yes. You, you, you really are a leader in, in, in organizing things and stuff like that. You've got this passion and it's, it it's attractive and it does all kinds of really, you channel it well, usually. Thank you. <laughs> it's gotten me into trouble too, but yeah, no, it does. It's like, yeah. Well, what's going on? What's, what's your passion in recovery today? What's oh, wow. On? Okay. So that's, that's a good
2: one. So. I'm doing work at a board level uh, for another 12-step fellowship that is uh, about 25 years into its uh, journey, following in the footsteps of the service traditions and concepts that were laid out by
0: AA. You can yeah. say what the other
2: uh, one so is Crystal Methanomus, Crystal uh-huh. Methanomus. So uh, I was a board member for that fellowship for four years, and now I serve on uh, the nominating committee, which uh, vets incoming board candidates. For the board of trustees and one of the things i love about doing uh, service in in CMA is your we we have a chance to do two things one is we have a chance to experience some of the stories and experiences that we read about from the early founders of AA and the struggles that they were having when their fellowship was coming of age cuz it's and mirroring that it's kind experience. of mirroring it's, so at it, it, once it's it's following that same path, but at the same time, it's following that path at a very different point in our culture. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's the same and it's different. The other thing that happened is about two years ago, I was invited to participate in and explore uh, some study and intentionality around racial equity. And this was something I did through uh, through my work, a, a small company that I own. Uh, one of our employees asked that we could all kind of go do this thing. And in fact, it was put on by an organization, the Racial Equity Institute, who's based here out of Greensboro, and who travel the country uh, putting on these very, very carefully crafted trainings on introducing Uh, white people and people of color to the issues of racial equity. And so that kind of like blew my mind and um, really opened up a whole new understanding. You know, I'm a a good white liberal progressive. And so uh, to realize that my understanding of what the real issues of equity are in our country, you know, the only thing more dangerous than someone who is overtly out to get you is someone who doesn't think they're part of the problem. So issues of, of white privilege and uh, the metrics, the the scientific data that's showing that people of color and many times women as well have outcomes in life, health outcomes, monetary, wealth outcomes. And, 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 and this is tying into your board work. So this is kind of a separate thing that happened and now it's coming together in my recovery because the CMA fellowship is now looking uh, intentionally at racial and gender equity in our fellowship and to cut to the chase the issue is when someone comes in the rooms for the first time looking for help are we doing everything we can to make sure that they feel like this is a place where they can get help and when there's a dominant culture that doesn't think of itself as a discrete culture it can be off-putting. It can be off-putting. That's right. That's right. And w- exploring what is the difference between coddling someone and sort of catering to all the ways that they think that they don't belong, which is as we've already talked about, comes from our disease, mm-hmm. and that's the part we're trying to cure and sort of you know stop that voice. But there are there are things going on, and awareness is going on in the at a national level now about racial equity, where just systems that sort of keep certain people from thriving. So exploring how to keep those things out of the fellowship, you know, and there are certain issues going on in society that are clearly outside issues, in my opinion, but there are other things going on that are inside issues that very much are about our young people today in their 20s and 30s who come into recovery when they come into an AA meeting and they read the big book or when they come into another 12-step meeting, do they hear their story? Do they feel like they're in a room full of people that that they can relate to? And even if they don't, do they feel welcome enough to at least ask these people who may be different from them, you know, for some help? So
0: That's a deep dive into that. It's a very deep dive, you know, and and
2: I'm aware of, you know, AA struggles constantly with, you know, how fast should we change? How fast should we evolve. And and I think there's a generation of people who have are alive and have survived their disease because of the kind of AA that was handed to them. And I wonder, and I just challenge them, are you holding on to the thing that worked for you at the expense of the thing that's going to work for the people coming behind you? Culture changes. It's important to maintain our traditions and maintain our focus and singleness of purpose in AA or CMA uh, respectively yeah.
0: we just did a home group inventory yeah and for me it was totally surprising how the experience that other people were having was different than what than what I was having yes, yes. You know? yeah yes and there were some things that were quite easy. To change. That's right. Very easy to change.
1: But you had no awareness that you but needed had to, to change. No though. awareness. That's right. Yeah. One mm. of
0: them that that this one wasn't me, but there there was a group who smoked cigarettes out front of the door before the meeting. Yeah. And one person who was a home group member said, "You know, I don't I always come late because the uh, I don't want to walk through that smoke. She has allergy to it, so it was really bad for her. Right." And the other the other people were going. Well, we had no idea. Yeah. And they changed. They changed where they were smoking. Now, this is a simple little thing to solve.
1: Well, it continues. But we didn't know what was happening. It continues to come around, and this is something that AA uh, World Services has has learned uh, through some methodical work. Communication is still the biggest problem. Yeah, And when we communicate, we solve problems. Yeah, But lack of communication is our biggest problem in so many ways. But one of the things that you know, I'm hearing in what you're talking about, Scott, yeah. what I'm hearing in the home group inventory information, and what I've been experiencing here in District 23 yeah. is, and that's accessibility. Um, access is the big thing right. uh, that I'm hearing right now. It's It's the new awareness that's going on because it used to be, first of all, it used to be called special needs. And people associated special needs with someone who was deaf and needed an interpreter or someone who was blind or someone who was in a wheelchair. And what has happened is special needs has been redefined, has been relabeled to accessibility because it is such a more encompassing thing of people being able to gain access to the solution that we have in these rooms, yeah. the meetings, yeah. is my walking into is, – is a straight man walking into a predominantly gay meeting where all kinds of gay banter and right. sexual innuendo, Absolutely, whatever is going yeah. on, is that a welcoming place for a straight man to walk into? Or or a woman. Or a woman. That's
0: right, or, yeah. Uh, is, or vice versa, which has happened to me, although I'm not gay, but I was at a meeting uh, out of town and there there was one guy telling a horrible homophobic joke Yeah, that was just the nastiest thing. And I was like, going, what are, you don't. Know who I am from Adam. What if I were gay? Yeah, yeah. And besides, I'm offended in my (laughs) mind. Yeah, Yeah. Because you're not uh, have to be aware what you're presenting. And those guys had no. They didn't have a
1: clue what they were doing. And what I'm hearing from you, Scott, is is a deeper dive into an inventory yeah
2: that's exactly right,
1: yeah and then an
2: inventory kind of at a fellowship wide level and yeah. and or or you know, and starting with with a group, you know I, I I bounce back and forth, you know, between these thoughts of things I should change in the big book, you know, and you know I want to march down to new it. york and you know, <laughs> yes, and and, and then I realize of. it's like, you know what like if 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 my home group wants to just change our readings. And 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 as we're reading the big book, because I my home group is a big book study, we just made the decision that we would invite people, if they wanted to, to simply use gender neutral pronouns. You know, we have a lot of people who are put off by the overtly white, patriarchal male perspective that pervades the big book. I mean, that was the dominant culture at the time. I do not fault, you know, anyone who's gotten sober from Following the, the culture that discovered this, you know, mm-hmm. but imagine that AA was invented, you know, in Africa or in Asia and we were trying to get it over here because we were dying. And yet the people on the other side of the Atlantic don't want to acknowledge that we need to sort of search beyond what culture invented this and get to the point of what are the common things in our humanity as men, women, straight, gay, black, white, Asian, whatever, what are the common things about this disease? It is a human disease. It is not a white male disease and it is not an American disease. And so is the fellowship willing to be open and curious to how to evolve so that 50 years from now, not tomorrow, not this week, but when the people who cling to the sort of language and traditions of AA, I mean traditions with a small t now, of today, what do those things need to change and evolve so that we are reaching the alcoholics that walk in the door 50 years from now? Because I am quite sure that this disease will still exist. And I don't want to chase them away. And other fellowships are stealing members from AA right now. And maybe that's okay. But culture is going to change. The world is becoming more global and just like in my own life i am challenged through the steps and the traditions and even the concepts to sort of face the parts of my life that do not work and set aside everything i think i know about these things in order to be open to a new experience that challenge must be maintained at some level at the at the most upper levels of the fellowship and the trustees and the the conference it must the conference cannot simply be the defender of the old way of doing things. It has the absolute right to defend and to steward that process in a responsible way. But if all it ends up doing is be the place where the old people defend what makes them comfortable, yes, we are a, failing the newcomers. There's a lot
0: of tension with that. Yeah. There is a yeah, lot of tension because yeah. those people don't want it to, mm-hmm. don't want change. Or that's right. Distrust change.
2: I just challenge them. Look beyond and our own comfort. And work. also,
0: that it worked. What mm-hmm. they did worked. Mm-hmm. So it, you want to you want to change it, but you don't want to lose what what works. That's right. And what is that? You know, that's like the hardest thing I know. It,
2: I don't think that's as hard as people make it, though. I really don't think getting to the core issues of what spiritual recovery is and the relationship with the higher power and the essential principles behind the steps and the traditions and the concepts, I don't think those things are actually that hard. I think what's hard is when people in the dominant culture are afraid to set aside their own comfort and are not willing to be open and curious. I just, I don't, it is hard. You're right. It's hard, but I don't, I don't think, The answer to what is the part of this that we need to not change. It's
0: fear-based. Absolutely, it is. That's what it is. Because I can be afraid that I don't want to change something because that might be the thing that works. Because something worked with me. Something as simple as the color of the chips and the order of that, (laughs) like, when you got sober. The first time I went out of town, went somewhere else to a different meeting. And they had different colors. Different chip system. It's yeah. like, what? That's not important. I I'm, I thought it was important. Yeah, it's not important. It's not in the least important.
2: No, and and as evidence by the fact that it's so different in every city you go to. Everywhere you go, right? So well, clearly that's not like so that's a not true, one of the things. That's not one of the things. <laughs> but, like we can let that one go.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you can do it with. Uh, I can see it in all kinds of things. And what I finally decided in traveling was. All the things that are different everywhere I go are the stuff that is not important in AA, yeah. and so, and a lot of those are things that people fight over. Meetings split up over what's the prayer oh, at yeah. the end of the meeting, oh, yeah. and that's something like that. It's not important. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, but uh, but the fight comes from fear. That I think let's put a good motive on it. The fi- fight comes from fear. That maybe that is the thing that's important. Yeah. Well, Doctor Bob at the end of his life said, "Don't louse this up," and yeah. that that is a fear. Oh, absolutely.
2: It? That's right. That's right. But yeah. a real
0: clear inventory can shine light. Yeah. And being willing, being open to other points of view. Yeah. I mean, that's what you. But you got to. It's it really is. hard when you don't have the other. Well, points and of I view. also like what I you're also, talking about um, is trying to anticipate points of view that are outside of your culture and you don't even know.
2: Yeah, that's the thing. Like, one of the great things about racial equity work for me as a white person is that I now understand whiteness and white culture as a thing with discrete boundaries. It's mm-hmm. not the only culture in the world. Right. But when you're raised in the United States, it is clearly the dominant culture, but we don't think of it as a discrete culture, mm-hmm. you know, multicultural means all the people who aren't like me. <laughs> you know. And so when, when systems and ways of thinking and language are just part of the air that I breathe, and I don't have to think about it because the entire system is designed for me to thrive as a white male. So the first job is just to sort of identify as like, no, I, I, am, I am like every other human being on the planet. I have a culture that I'm familiar with and that works for me and that I'm comfortable in. And so once I start identifying, well, what are the aspects of those culture, like the the gender pronouns for higher powers and whether we capitalize letters, you know, in reference to them and things like that, it's not that hard to start separating those once I'm paying attention to them from the underlying spiritual principles of the 12 steps. Like, I can't do this on my own. I need help. There's something out there more powerful than I than I am that can help me. I need to make a decision to engage that. I need to explore what's wrong in what I have done and what's broken. I need to share that with someone. And on and on through the rest of the steps. I don't think there's confusion among the fellowship about what the the underlying 12 principles are that that did the work. The underlying 12 ways that we... you know, How do we keep from killing ourselves? That's the 12 steps. How do we keep from killing other people, the 12 traditions, and the 12 concepts. I forget what that one is. is it's a, it's to, suicide, homicide, and genocide. Genocide, that's right, right, that's right, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I think I would challenge people that are exploring this and have people in their home group that are starting to question, you know, do we really have to use this language? Is, that, is every word, every individual word in the first 164 pages of the Big Bibli- Book? is it really ne- necessary to canonize our culture Why don't we look for a way to canonize the principles? And I think that would make the principles stronger, not weaker. And it would probably save more alcoholics worldwide than if we were not willing to do it. That's just something I think would be important for people to ponder.
1: This has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you for helping spark some awareness. Yeah, absolutely. But right now, yes. watch your head. Watch my head. You might want to duck. Okay. At least cover. Ooh, oh, no. Ooh, ah,
0: ooh, ooh. Ooh.
1: It's time for our old-timers question.
0: Who you calling an old-timer?
1: Well, once again, not you. <laughs> not <this
0: time. laughs> But no matter how long you've been sober, it's still one day at a time. Sing. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs>
1: My name is Sam Shammy <laughs> So we have a question from Juniper in Sarasota Juniper asks I just started going to meetings Someone told me helping put away chairs After the meeting would help me What's up with that?
0: Oh yes <laughs> Yeah that will help It's amazing how that helps Just It used to be cleaning the ashtrays Helps I I was reading uh, The Home Group, The Heartbeat of AA. It's a booklet. And someone was talking about cleaning ashtrays helped her stay sober because actually that's all she could do, but she felt like she was a part of the group because she had the responsibility to do that every week. Hmm. They gave her that responsibility. And that's the case. By helping after the meeting, put up the chairs, clean the coffee pot, that kind of thing, the old-timers will say, God is in the bottom of the coffee pot. (laughs) (laughs) You clean the coffee pot and you're talking to other members of the group who've been sober for a long time, longer than you. And that gives you an opportunity to connect on a human level with someone else. And what that is is a sense of belonging, and like we've been talking about. And that sense of belonging is what it's all about. And how do you get that? You get that by helping out and by being a part of the group. Now You can't do that by... Making the decision to stand outside of the group, you have to make the decision that I'm going to be a part of this thing. It can be a simple little thing like helping to put up the chairs. Thanks. What do you think, Scott? I I completely agree. I think
2: I think to take it one one more step. It's it's about being useful, you know. Like the, I know of nothing that will short circuit my obsessive self centeredness and that restless irritable and discontent you know throughout the book it talks about you know thinking of others and how to you know be there for the newcomer and all you know so there's all kinds of ways we learn how to be useful some of which are very profound as we gain time and wisdom and people actually start asking us what we think they should do which is always a miracle when that happens but like when i was first in the rooms, like putting away the chairs is a way I can just be helpful. It's a way of getting out of myself. I'm thinking of this is something I can do to help this group of people that is here to save my life. So what can I do? I don't have a lot of experience. I don't know how to stay sober yet, but I can certainly do this one thing and uh, sort of leave this room better than I found it. And that gives one a sense of purpose and, and a little bit of esteem and can be the start of you know a lifelong practice of doing good things in order to feel good about oneself.
1: I'm gonna like jump in and combine both of y'all's awesome points. Mash it up, baby. Uh, because because what <laughs> I mash love, mash it like a banana, That's right. <laughs> like a banana. <laughs> Scramble um, it together. No, what I love. So it, it's it is a an act of service, a uh, an act of gratitude, uh, a way to to help something exist. If I'm doing it by myself. It is solely that, Um, but whenever I'm helping someone else put away the chairs or wash the coffee pot and all that kind of stuff, it's that, and it gives me that opportunity to talk. Yeah, that's right. Um, And that is the thing that I could not do when I came into these rooms. Uh, We've talked before about how much I hate small talk, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and that it's really cool that with people in recovery... I don't have to find something we've got in common. I know something we have in common. Yeah. Now, I didn't realize that whenever I was helping clean up after a meeting, but it still showed up. And I was able to talk with people that I was doing stuff with. I've always been the kitchen person at the party anyway. You know, I, It's not my kitchen, it's not my party, but I'm still going to wind up in the kitchen. <laughs> okay. uh, it's just what I do so giving me that chance to have a little bit of ownership, and it's one of those things that really carried over into being a home group
0: member, yeah.
1: is being a host. That's inviting people over to my place.
0: Wait a minute. now. Are you a kitchen person because that's where the alcohol is at
1: the party? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, there was a time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it was really easy to hide in the kitchen. Yeah, that's right.
2: That's, that's, right. that's, right. that's yeah. right. There's a little that's security true. in the kitchen yeah. when you're just, you just you can be around 3 people. You
0: just can't you can be around, around three 30. People. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> And you'll touch base with everybody because they'll come into the kitchen at some point. Or oh or yeah, to oh, refresh dude, their drinks.
1: That is a so I I got to share one more thing about Scott that so so <laughs> going to that first hot and dry that I went to. First of all, I heard about the, the short circuiting, so I took that to heart and tried yep. not to short circuit while I was there, <laughs> and I jumped right in. But one of the other things that you gave me was a killer piece of advice, and I still do it to this day. And that's whenever I register to go to a conference. I volunteer to be of service at that conference. And if at all possible, I get on the registration desk That's right. because every you interact with tons of people for just a very short period right. of time. Yeah, <laughs> like you were just saying about the kitchen. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so instead of there, you know, feeling sorry for yourself because you think you're not, you know, big enough or pretty enough or dark enough or whatever, you know, you know, whatever that situation is that you're thinking that you don't belong. You you completely flip that on its belly and you say no I'm I'm going to welcome every person that walks into this room so that they feel comfortable and it is amazing how I feel about myself when I'm putting myself to use that way and thinking about how do I make sure that everyone that walks in the room today feels like uh, like I care that they're here yeah. and I give them that gift and man there's nothing that'll clean out your soul of the junk uh, faster than something like that it really does work yeah absolutely yeah.
1: Scott, thank you so much for absolutely. Joining us. Thank this you for having me. Thank it's you. really
2: uh, awesome. Love what y'all are doing, and and I really appreciate y'all asking me to be here. Watch out for that owl one more time. It's got sharp talons. Get away! Get away! Ah!
0: <laughs> get back! Leave him alone!
1: <laughs> get the broom. Sorry, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the first and fifteenth of every month. Visit us at boiledowlaa.org or email giveahoot at If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of Alcoholics Anonymous and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. <laughs> well, yeah, I have. You make me sound so good. Um... Make sound really good. Make that sound really good. Make that sound really good. Make that sound really good.